It's nice to be back at work. Actually in the studio. Ennis, in passing this morning, told me that it's like a dump truck on the highway that... Well, actually, I think he did say dump truck, but or cement truck, something like that, something that has occurred. Hope everyone's okay. But that it's going to stall his commute. And I thought, you know, this isn't going to ingratiate me to any of the live listeners, especially the... Because I, I feel like those of you that are on the podcast... Those of you who subscribe to the podcast and leave five stars, appreciate you so much. Versus those of you on the radio, you you have the very different listening experiences. So this isn't going to ingratiate me to the radio people. But a small part of me goes, all right, you're going to come in and you're going to use the city? It's going to take some time. If you're living in the city, it should be lickety split. We should be able to move around freely, immediately. So part of me is like, fair is fair. Us inside the city commuting yesterday had to deal with a disaster. Now it's your turn. Tit for tat. That's the way it operates here. Okay? Fairness. Fairness. That's all I ask for is a little bit of fairness. Anyway, you know when a, you know when your team, and you should know this because probably a lot of you that listen to this, you enjoy the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's like that Montreal series. Sorry for bringing it up, especially this early in the morning. It's not appropriate. It's not appropriate to be saying this, but you know that feeling you get when your team loses in overtime in, in, a, in a playoff game. And you're kind of sitting there and, and you don't know how to act. You're not mad yet. You're just kind of like, oh no. Is this real? This can't be real. I experienced the same thing when the Seahawks turned the ball over at the one-yard line, throwing an interception to Malcolm Butler. Where you sit there and you go, hold on. Just wait a second. Someone, someone's about to say that this didn't just happen to us. This, this just didn't happen to my team. There's got to be another way. Someone's got to come in here and say, oh, turns out that was not legal. And you go, of course it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. But then you see the players skating towards the bench and they're all high-fiving. And that, now, they're, that, now they're starting to leave, right? Now, that, now they're going down the tunnel. And it's starting to sink in. And, and you think, no, no, no. Call, call, every, call them back out here. Tell them, tell them, obviously, not redo, redo, redo. And you play it out in your mind <laughs> multiple times thinking, well, it could have been different if this way. And then you're going through the stages of sports grief. And before, by the way, I've got a ton of guests today. I've got Chris Pronger, Hockey Hall of Famer. You've probably heard of him. He's here for All-Star Weekend. Made it 13 times. He knows a little something about All-Stars. I've got Jared Carabas, who I'm going to do Jared Sollinger test with. And we've got Will Lou in a couple minutes because I've been building up some Raptors thoughts that I need to get off my chest, and who better than to, who better to discuss that with than well? But you're you're sitting there in the disbelief. You're going through the sports grief, and that's a little bit how I feel right now with the Toronto Blue Jays offseason. We we had Ben Nicholson Smith on yesterday. I trust Benny. I really do. Guy's super plugged in, and he's and he's very cautious when it comes to the way he speaks about the team. He's not. He doesn't just throw stuff around. He said yesterday what it really 
appear what what appears to be true, which is the the major lifting of the Blue Jays offseason is done. And I'm sitting here like I just watched overtime going, that can't be it. You can't be telling me that you're replacing old Brandon Belt with old Justin Turner, who I like, by the way. I, I really, I like the Justin Turner signing. Even, even though he's going to be 40 years old, I, I'm a believer in the, hey, he's a gamer type. That guy took Chris Black, controversial figure on this show, sometimes unbelievably wrong. But when he just sticks to the facts and doesn't try to, you know, as I say, Michael Moore, his stats up, when he just sticks to the facts, he can nail it. And he, I, I saw his thread yesterday on Justin Turner. This guy takes more pitches than just about anybody in baseball. He's patient at the plate. Gamer. Gamer. The type of bat that the Blue Jays need. The type of presence I think that clubhouse needs. When Bo came on with Blair and Barker, 35th reference of that interview, good job by them, he mentioned those kind of guys could help them on and off the field. And, and I believe in the intangible stuff. I like the bat. I don't think that he's going to have some drastic drop-off. Maybe he's not as good as he was last year, but either way, he's a great bat to insert in the lineup. I love the signing. I don't love it if he's your cleanup hitter. I don't love it if your DH is Justin Turner for the entire season. I'd like it a little bit better if he was your seven guy. Right? I think we can all agree with that. I, I'm, I'm a believer in the positive regression. I'm a believer that the Blue Jays are going to be better hitting team next year. There was just too many guys that struggled. I know Ennis outlined the case that we're all going to do, which is, hey, is the pitching going to be as good? And blah, 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 blah. Who cares about that? The bats in general, I have a difficult time imagining they're going to look like the, the, the team that they did last year. I have a really hard time believing that the runners in scoring position stat is going to carry over to the season, and that's going to become some type of lasting flaw, even though we said that exact same thing last year, month to month to month to month, going, well, it's historically bad. There's just no way. Something's going to give. Something's going to happen. I believe that Kirk, Bo, Flatty, there's going to be upticks. There's, there's going to be upticks. Varsho, I don't think he's going to be that bad at the plate. But I'm looking at the offseason in its entirety right now, and I, and I can't help but think it, it just it can't be done. It can't be done. This, this can't be it. There's got to be one more trick. There's got to be one more move. One thing to make this thing look a little bit better, to have a little bit more reason for optimism and a little more reason to actually be able to look at this and say, yeah, on paper, who cares about on paper? But a, a little bit, a little bit on paper. Paper is good. Sometimes... We only say it was good on paper when it goes bad, but we never really mention, hey, actually on paper it was good and then it turned out to be good. I'd like to feel a little bit more like on paper, the Blue Jays are one of the best three teams in their division. And as of right now, I'm not sure I feel that way with all certainty. I feel like you can make the case. You can, you can see an outcome, you can see a path, but not, the, the, I don't know how you could have any certainty that the Blue Jays are a top three team in the American League East. And this is, again, in a window that was very much supposed to be special, that was very much supposed to be about World Series. So if you're sitting there and you're feeling the same way I am, it's a little bit like that, that overtime, that little bit of disbelief, that little bit of me on the Seahawks one-yard line going, please, please tell me this isn't over. Please tell me that something else is going to happen. Please tell me someone's going to come in and save this. All right, gutsy win for the Raptors last night. I like the defense. They were hustling. Here's, here's what I have to say about the Raps. They're down three starters again last night. And 
God. Part of me, my, instinctually, I go, I, I, I don't want to watch this. There's, there's a Celtics-Pacers game on. I just, I would much, I should, I should be watching this. If I, if I just am being fully transparent, I, I would much rather watch the Celtics-Pacers game than the Raptors down three starters. I'm going, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to gain from this. I, I really don't. And, and the Bulls were without Zach Levine, which is generally an automatic win for the Chicago Bulls, right? The, the best worst player in the league, which I've been saying for, since he was a Timberwolf. My nightmare scenario was Zach Levine on the Raptors when there were all those fake trades going around. And I said, it, Armin, you heard me on the show a million times. I went, God, if Zach Levine's a Raptor, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. I, re- I really don't know how, like that, that would have been, that would have just been modern day Rudy Gay where you're punting and saying, well, who else are we going to get? Who else are we going to get? Let's just get this guy. Yeah. There's no track record of actually winning stuff, but he's a guy. He says, look at his stats. Look at his stats. How could he not be good? So, there's no Zach Levine. There's no three starters for the Raptors. Going, okay, strap in. Let's watch this basketball game. And they had another game where they moved the ball. They had another game where there was just multiple contributors. And they played tough. And you, I am on team do not tank. I am on team kick the, don't, don't kick the draft pick to next year. I, I don't want to have three picks in this draft. I would much rather you be able to reset next year, know what you have, and feel like you're in control of your destiny. And yeah, put that, I want to say awful trade, but if you look at every single stat, basically since Pirtle's been out, <laughs> Raptors getting killed, he might have a case. I, I was, uh, I, I met her, so I actually get to call her Keeks now because she's got one of the best stat accounts on all of Twitter. But I saw Keeks put out a tweet that was basically, hey, the Raptors without Jakob Pertl, they're the worst team in basketball. They're, they're by far, the, they can't rebound, they can't defend, they can't do anything right. And so he's kind of my MVP as of today. It's like, who's the Raptors MVP? It's not Scotty Barnes. This actually turns out to be Jakob Pertl. But I, I just, they're moving the basketball. They're still playing aggressive. There's a lot of guys that are out there that are hungry and that, and that does start to wear a little thin once you want to actually win some basketball games, that, that does run its course, right? And they are going to get these guys back. But I, I actually, with all the inconsistencies with the lineup, there, there, does, there has been a consistency with moving the basketball and effort, which I got to say is, is a major positive for me. Uh, Will Lou, the host of the Raptors show. What's up, brother? How we doing? What's going on, man? Nothing, well, dude. I didn't think we'd begin the morning with Zach Levine slander, but that's not slander, yeah. though. That's just facts. That's not, that's not slander. That's just that is just the truth. I, I would love like call me into any court in the land and and call me up on Zach Levine slander charges, and I'm walking out of there a free man. Oh uh, yeah, he might have a lot. Of, he might have the most points scored in the NBA without like a one win, significant playoff moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, like him I'm, and Cat. Yeah, uh, the, the I would say the hate started early when I still believed in Andrew Wiggins becoming a superstar, and oh, okay. yeah, and it, and I would watch Timberwolves games re- religiously. I would go, okay, this is my time. This is what I've been waiting for, Maple Jordan, and mm-hmm. I would tune in every night. And Zach Levine would take all the shots, and Wiggins would finish with four spin moves and four missed threes. And that was his stat every night. And then it was just Zach Levine from deep over and over and over again. I went, I don't know if this is good for a team to just have a guy gun this way from start to finish every single night on a bad team. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. Just wasn't expecting this, but how yeah. you doing, man? You good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, I will say this though. This is actually kind of a good launching point for the, what I want to talk to you about today, which is my fear when they started to move 
Scotty, or sorry, when they moved out Pascal Siakam, they moved out OG, and at least with OG, they brought in players, right? But the, specifically the Pascal trade. And even looking at the landscape of what the Raptors could be and the discussion about Bruce Brown and whether you trade him and what you bring back was where is the line of demarcation for you're trying to develop Scotty Barnes, but you're just having him on a really bad team where you accumulate really bad habits. And, and I'm curious for you because Masai Ujiri's basically his entire track record here since the We the North era began is you, you don't just go in a full tank. You don't just go in a full uh, rebuild. You do sort of a retool and you want to maintain the good habits and the good culture. Do you, do you feel like you're seeing signs of that? Are you concerned about the level of the talent on the roster moving forward here? Where are you at in terms of how much you strip this thing down? Yeah, I mean, I think we're already past that point, right? Like, um, once you rip off the Band-Aid with OG and you rip off the Band-Aid with Pascal, like, and you get the players that you get back, at least with the OG trade, you got back two guys who can start for you in the short term, in the long term, hopefully, as well. Um, but that Pascal trade, when, when you know, all you get back is Bruce Brown and Jordan Noir, who did mm-hmm. both play well last night. Like, I, I feel like... That know, near dunk was almost right a, like a famous Raptors moment. Yeah, I mean, one, you only get those guys back, and then mostly the, the equity you get back is in picks. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that signal? It's, like, pretty clear. Um, now, I, I think, you know, you would always like to see them be competitive. You would always like to see them play a game like last night, like the game that they lost to... Atlanta even, where it's like, okay, I understand it's going to be uneven. I understand that, like, there are going to be certain moments where Scotty takes over, but there are also going to be other players who can kind of contribute. Um, and then they're going to compete to the very end. Like, I'm I'm cool with living with that. Like, I, I'm actually okay with that. You know, clearly they they want to transition this period. They want to, I don't know, reset their books um, and, you know, go forward with a younger group. Uh, because the previous group, even though it seems like the Raptors trading Pascal to Indiana has made Indiana much, much better. Uh, it seems like the the Knicks trade has also made the Knicks like incredible. Like they're the, the best team in basketball now. Like, yeah, they, all of a sudden, the East was went from being the Celtics and kind of the Bucks to a four team race between those four teams because of the two Raptors trades. Yeah. So uh, for me, as a as a someone who was going to watch the playoffs regardless of the Raptors are in it, it is more fun to see like more competitive Eastern Conference. But it's also at the same time like I always want to see the Raptors compete and, mm-hmm. and share the ball and and just play hard and um. It is hard to just like maintain that if you get rid of all the vets. Like you look, look at last night, for example. They fully lose that game without even a Thad Young on the roster. They fully lose that game without even a Bruce Brown on the roster. Mm-hmm. Dennis Schroeder, I thought, did a lot of good things. Those are all older players, vets in this league, who understand how to play the right way. And even though the Raptors, you know, had an early lead and they surrendered it, and it looked like you know the, the Bulls were just going to run away with this thing. They were the ones who like pulled the Raptors up and said, you know, we got to play serious basketball. And then eventually guys sort of all fit into that and they finished strong. That's all good to see. Um, but that's kind of the purpose of the vets. So you keep that standard, you maintain that standard. Um, at the same time, though, it's like, well, you go into this like trade deadline and you look around the league, how many teams are actually selling? At least we know the Raptors have chosen to sell. Mm. So it makes more sense for them to continue moving some more of their pieces. But if you all you get back is a whole bunch of young guys and the whole roster is like 22, 23, you know, guys who are unproven or guys who haven't really had much equity in the league, like you could very quickly get into a situation where, you know, you're the Houston Rockets before this this past year, for example. Dude, that's like, a great point. You know, you're all these other teams who who tank for a while. So who's going to hold up that culture for you? Um, and honestly, if, if, if the whole goal is developing Scotty, it's like who's actually going to be around to actually help 
him play the right way to support him when things are bad to sort of like at least pick him up when he's not performing like at a high level every single game for 48 minutes which is unrealistic for any young guy so these are good questions man this yeah i'm on the show no yeah, yeah that's why yeah not because you're contractually obligated through sports that they're like the bosses have met with you multiple times calling you gotta do the show well <laughs> you can't say no you you gotta you gotta uh-huh. come when he calls you gotta do it you gotta do these other shows but okay so that's kind of what i'm hitting on though is moving into this trade deadline because it's it, like we're what we're less than a week away now what are we Seven days, six days, yeah, something like that. We're we're in the zone here, and I'm watching Bruce Brown have his moments yesterday. And the the weird one actually to me is uh, Grange wrote this great piece about how hey the Raptors like we can pretty definitively say that they lost the Norm Powell trade, right? He improved, and he actually ended up getting paid less than Gary Trent on a longer term contract, and is playing winning basketball. That ended up being a tough deal for the Raptors outside of anybody squinting and going, hey, his age, his he's younger, nice. But I was looking at lineups today with Scotty Barnes. Yep. This is before everything started. I went, oh, you know what? He's played so many lineups. And is there something? And normally lineup data is really hard. And uh, mm-hmm. Blake would even kill me for looking at anything that has 30 minutes of play involved with this. But mm-hmm. if you look at the rap, Scotty Barnes' most effective lineups from, I think, five of his top six involve Gary Trent. And you're probably saying, well, yeah, because who else is actually out there on the team? And I'm, yep, that's a fair point. Uh, the starting lineup was so bad with him involved for so long. Obviously, that didn't work out from a plus-minus standpoint. But now I feel like the, the goal for this team has to be, what is, what is the actual tipping point price for some of these vets where we say, now nah, we got to do that, versus what is the, oh, you just, you're, you're leaning on the past and saying, we didn't get enough for guys that left like Fred for nothing. We don't want to make that mistake again. Or we didn't get enough for guys like Pascal because we waited so you're trying to almost like replenish the cupboards more based on the past rather than what's doing right for the development of Barnes. Because I actually, I think I'm with you in the sense of I would like to keep some of those players around Scotty, like the Bruce Browns, like the Gary Trents. If the option is like, you're getting a lottery ticket player in a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, look to your point about the picks of this year, putting aside whether you think the, the draft is good or not, which I don't think that the top end of the draft is very good, but maybe there's like sure. somebody you can find in that middle range. Raptors already have like at least three picks in this draft, right? Like if they, if they tank and they successfully keep their own pick from committing to San Antonio, which would be pretty difficult. Like the Raptors need to play limbo with uh, the Charlotte Hornets or limbo with the Portland Trailblazers. You would need Jakob Pertl to essentially be out for the season uh, to, for this kind of scenario to exist. But um, yeah, if the Raptors actually successfully tank, they would have four picks in this draft. It's not realistic to bring in four young guys Mm-mm. into this whole system and give them all proper chance to develop or even opportunities. You know, you could take a bunch of swings, I suppose, but that's never really been Masai or Bobby's like MO when it comes to bringing in prospects. They don't just draft a whole bunch of guys and then give them, you know, just let them sink or swim. Like they typically invest in all the players that they bring in. Some of them work out, some of them don't. Um, but four at one time is just very, very rare to see. Even in the bench mob year, I think that was more of a you know an outlier when you look at the the, the scope of their you know um, ten years in Toronto now. But yeah, I mean, I think in the cases of Bruce Brown and Gary, I think it's a little bit different. I think with Gary, I mean, this is the stat that keeps jumping out to me. I mean, he continues to look really good as a starter. Mm-hmm. He's for the season. He started twelve games. He's shooting fifty two percent from three as a starter this year. Like <laughs> they get blown out now, of if course, not for him yesterday. Yeah. 
so it's like you know you you do need um you know a lot of what he's doing if you trade gary you would also need somebody to bring him back a lot of shooting and honestly with him having a down season maybe you look at the opportunity to, to essentially re-sign him for you know uh, a, a cheaper rate than he's currently on even um with bruce brown i just feel like there's so much trade interest that you you have to see what's out there and if mm. there is a good you know deal where you get back a prospect i look for example i think the raptors could really use a front court prospect right like you, you can't consistently have these scenarios where Jakob gets hurt because he rolled an ankle one time. I mean, it happens to everybody. And then all of a sudden, your backups are now Thad Young and Jonte Porter. It's like, you know, you do need bigs in this in the pipeline. Fortunately, you lose Christian Coloco due to the, the medical issue. Um, he would have been a guy who could potentially, you know, have filled a role. Can you get back a prospect who's a big? And, and I mean, I don't know. I guess more picks is always a good thing, I suppose. But mm. um, I'm looking more at the prospect side. So, you know, you just got to look at what the market is for Bruce Brown. I mean, there clearly are lots of teams interested, so I would continue to make calls. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you're going you know, to tear down the whole thing, like, sure, you can. But you would typically like to do that when you're in a year where you really, really want to tank. Like, there's one guy in the draft that you, like, can't miss, like a Wemby in the draft or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, I don't – there's no Wembys in this draft. There's there's plenty of Frenchmen, but they're not seven six. Yeah, I. that's the thing. Last year was the year to do it. If you were going to do it, it was yeah. last year. Now yeah. you're in a spot where I think you just try to play winning basketball. You keep trying to establish good habits. You want to develop Scotty Barnes in whatever the right way they think is, which I, I do want to talk to you about in a sec. Um, but yeah, to me, that you, you kind of nailed it. I, I think that right now I'm trying to bring back Gary Trent on a cheaper contract if, if that's even possible for this team or if he's looking at that. It's not exactly like he's been easy with contracts so far with the Raptors. Um, I'm looking at shopping Bruce Brown for something that is an undeniable win for you based on mm-hmm. that market that you're talking about. I've been, I've been jokingly calling the Raptors project six, five now because they went from this team. It's just all of a sudden they're yeah, tiny, good. you know, all of a sudden yeah. it's just like Bruce Brown fits project six, five extremely well. But yeah, I also do like some size on a basketball team. I think, I think that's important. And so while I like the things he does and I like the way he plays, I think he'd probably like to be on a contender and you'd probably like to, yeah, recoup a, a younger guy that fits the team who does have a little bit of size. But yeah, when it comes to like the Schroeders and the, like I've seen Jakob Pertl's name get thrown into trade rumors and I'm like, I don't, I don't think you're doing that right now. I saw your interview mm-hmm. with Darko and he was talking about how important he is for the development of quickly and, uh, and for Scotty. And I went, I, I totally agree with this stuff. So keep him, mm-hmm. keep the rest of the team. And then I think you're just like, yeah, you're, you're kind of getting back into uh, that, rebuild with the goal of actually winning games, not just letting Scotty Barnes play hero ball for the 40 minutes that he plays and hoping that somehow he develops into being one of the best scorers in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the big part of this is you have to decide, do you already have the prospects who are going to carry you long-term on the Mm -hmm. roster already? And they just need time to grow or do you need to bottom out and get another one of those high end prospects? I think that's the question, right? And if 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 it's the first one, then that's fine. You keep some of these other supporting players, like a Yaka Proto, who clearly is important, especially for a roster that has no other bigs. Um, if it's the other, then yeah, you might have to look at, you know what? If I if I don't believe that Scotty is going to be like a number one clear cut superstar, like Shea Gilgis Alexander or like Jason Tatum or you know whoever young player you want to put in that you know zone. Um, then you might want to dip back into the draft and, and get a chance to acquire another one of those assets. But if you feel like he's going to be that guy already, then you try to at least invest in him 
currently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll put that question to you. Like, do you feel like Scotty is already that type of prospect? And so you're good. You don't, you've already got the beginning piece or do you need to go for another chance to get another like core superstar level prospect? This is such a cop-out answer, but I, I think it's still kind of undetermined because I have moments where I go, oh, I think he's going to be that guy. And that those moments yeah. are usually called the second half. And then I have moments the fourth where I'm quarter. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other moments are the first half where I go, uh-huh. I don't even know if he's good. <laughs> I just, I, <laughs> I, like, I, I, he has these just wild swings in terms of his mm-hmm. play. And I really mm-hmm. think it's what makes him so hard to evaluate is he'll have moments where I just find him to be dominant on both ends. Like yep. he can lock in defensively and he can pass every eye test possible. And then he'll have moments where when he's getting, and this has been a thing since he's been a rookie. When he gets his, when he can get his two feet in the paint, I think you're unstoppable. And we've seen mm. the jump shot look all right. It's obviously improved. I think it started to fade more recently. I definitely don't have the confidence when he pulls up from three, even when he's got his feet set, like, oh, that's money, mm. right? Like, that's going mm. in. It's kind of, it's actually sort of how I felt with Pascal. If I'm, if I'm playing, it's yeah. like some nights it's dropping, some nights you go, no, that's, that's clanking, that's, no, that's a brick. I, I basically just want to see them... What I want to know is what Masai's vision is in terms of what he actually thinks the perfect team is around Barnes to, to answer that question. And I'm not, sure, I'm not sure him at the five with a bunch of 6'5 guys who can kind of shoot is going is to help find that answer. I think you need more pieces. And that's the issue I have with like the selling stuff is I'm not sure what you find out from Scotty Barnes when he's playing with, no offense to him, but like, Wara and uh, yeah, some of the other pieces that they've got on this roster right now, the Thad Youngs and some of these mm-hmm. vets. Yeah, and I think that's you're you're highlighting the difficulty of like how to build around a guy who is right now like a jack of all trades kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, he at one point can take over in the fourth quarter, but even still, like that's you know, um, it's it's not like he's you know, it's it's entirely clear what style of play he wants to be like. For example, it's not hard to build around a Luka Doncic as a prospect. You probably could have figured that out from year one. I don't think the Mavericks have done a good job figuring that out, but it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, he needs 3 and D guys around him at all times. He needs, like, essentially, if the Raptors, you know, Project 6-9 roster can just kind of instantly add Luka Doncic to the roster, then that's probably, like, the best version. Yeah, Maybe good. with a little bit more shooting, right? Yeah. You want to be able to really cover up for his defensive shortcomings. You want guys who can, you know, be good without the ball and, you know, really be able to defend. And you know, it's hard to say like explicitly, okay, so Scotty in his prime is going to be like this type of player. If it's going to be like a Giannis type of player, well, then it's easy to build around a Giannis type. You know, you, you can, you obviously need some like ball dominant guards who can make up for his lack of perimeter scoring, uh, for his ball handling, all that kind of stuff. And and you can, you know, round out the court with, with strong defenders. If he's going to become like a Kawhi Leonard type of player, well, then all of a sudden, you know, you, you can also you know, create a more balanced roster, I suppose. Even look at the 2019 roster for the Raptors, how they surrounded uh, Kawhi. But it depends on what their main skill set, what their key, like, attribute is. And I think mm-hmm. right now the key attribute for Scotty is is versatility. The key attribute for Scotty is is the playmaking. Um, those are good things. But, you know, offensively, it's hard to just say, like, I'm going to, you know, bring in, for example, I want to bring in ball handlers for him because, you know, we need to make him a frontcourt player. Like, I don't really know we want to make him a frontcourt player when – there's also a lot of talk that he wants to be a point guard. So we don't even know what position he's going to play long-term. So it's harder to build around that. But also at the same time, like the flip side is it's also quite easy to play around that because he can adapt to a a number of different roles, right? I think you can make him 
a small ball five at times. You can make him a point guard at times. You could, you know, because he has a variety of skill sets, you can do a lot with him. But yeah, I mean, a lot of this is going to be determined based on him too. So I, in that sense, I am, I am happy that the Raptors have at least the rest of this season to decide some of the bigger picture decisions. The thing with the, the veterans and, and moving more of those is just like, it just depends on what offers you get, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that part will kind of take care of itself. You need to have a strong evaluation of like how valuable is a Bruce Brown and how are these, like I'm not trading them for just nothing, but at the same time, you know, if there is a, a great deal out there, you know, there's, there's no reason you're, you're going to turn that down. Yeah. Same thing I suppose for Dennis and, and Chris Boucher, but yeah, for Scotty, I guess he has the rest of the season to kind of show you like, okay, this is the direction that he's going to go. This is a style of player. And then we can adjust towards that. But um yeah, right now, it, it is tough to see the three-point shooting come back to earth. Like, it does remind me a little bit of Pascal to start that nineteen twenty season. That's where, I mean, the Celtics game, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there's other aspects that Scotty's bringing, so. Yeah, there are, but I, I think that you raised, that that's a really good point, and that's something that I honestly haven't that looked at Scotty Barnes through that lens of the versatility is clearly a massive asset. Like, if, mm-hmm. if you were saying, hey, build a basketball player and you were adding all the Scotty attributes, someone wouldn't go, well, no, 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 that's too much of that, you know, or that's too many things. You want to just have him do the one thing. Like, no, no, no. But this is maybe part of why he's a confusing guy to watch is I don't mind mm-hmm. trying to figure out the differences with Barnes. Like you mentioned the ball handler thing. And this is one of the, I don't want to say issues I've had so far with the quickly and RJ trade because we haven't even seen enough of it. But when it's like quickly and RJ and Scotty and Schroeder, I think you can't have enough shooting. I think you can't have too many ball handlers as you're trying to develop a guy as a primary ball handler, right? And to me, there's just too many times where it feels like Barnes disappears. And I'm going, Mm -hmm. oh, that's fine if he's not playing in the backcourt or if he's not handling the basketball, but I want to have him feel more involved in the actual play than me go, oh, wow, that was like four minutes where I didn't really notice Scotty Barnes. And I think right now... There's a bit too much of that. So I like the ball movement. I love the culture that Darko is trying to set in with this team. But I think the next step for them in the quote-unquote Scotty Barnes development is I don't care about inconsistency of role. I care about consistency of involvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear that. Because sometimes I think about it too, um, how difficult it is for him to, like how much work he needs to put in to bend the defense. Um, And... There are certain players just by virtue of how good and how skilled they are, they're bending the defense just by having the ball in certain moments. Like Giannis catches the ball in the post, he's already bent the defense. Mm-hmm. Two, three guys are coming towards him. Jokic has the ball anywhere on the floor, he's bending the defense. Steph Curry just running around without the ball is bending the defense. You know what I mean? But like they haven't even done anything yet, and the defense is already sending a double team, stuff like that. Once Scotty draws a double team, you know, it's a good thing is going to come out of it because he's generally going to do good things. Like you look at last night, for example, uh, two possessions late, he he drives and he draws a double team and Thad Young cuts just like, I don't know, two, three feet to his right, gets open for a little shovel pass. And those are the two clutch buckets that the Raptors needed to, to close out that game. So once he draws a double team, it's fine. But for Scotty, it's like he's got to, because he's not too much of a threat on the perimeter, even right now with, with his improved three-point shooting, teams are still more or less okay allowing him that. But, you know, he's got to get into the post probably against a mismatch make a move towards the middle, then draw the you know double team. Then he's got to kick it out kind of on the move. Like it, it, it's, it, I think it speaks to the fact that he just needs to continue to raise his skill level, which for most young guys, that is the case. Like he's not walking into this league as like a guaranteed, you know, Luca type of prospect. Yeah. Um, but the more he improves his skill set, the more it's going to be easier for him to bend that defense. And then at that point, you can just trust that the passing is going to take over, you know, like that's the good thing. It's like, 
it's almost like Jokic in that way, although I, I would say that it's hard to compare anyone's passing to Jokic. But sure. like you knew that once Jokic figured out, okay, I can score, and you, you know, um, then he was going to become unstoppable because of how good he made his teammates. So I think for Scotty, it's just improving that skill set, you know, becoming more of a threat in the pick and roll, becoming more of a threat in isolation. Like I looked at the numbers yesterday, isolation wise, he's in the 20th percentile in efficiency. And pick and roll ball handler wise, he's in the 35th percentile. Until that gets mm. to like 60, 70 for both, and teams look at him like, oh, he's a walking bucket. We need to double team him anytime we can. You know, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to have that consistent impact. Plus, he's already an unselfish player by nature. Um, and he's going to try to give it up as much as possible. So. Yeah, yeah, again, it's it's a, a unique prospect to build around. Yeah, I, I like what you said about how much it, it energy it takes for him to be able to get to his spots because that really is his defining characteristic as an offensive player right now, right, is brute force. Is mm-hmm. He's just yeah. bigger than you, and then when he's got energy, he can get deep he can get deep positioning and then when he's around the basket he's got good touch and he can he can finish pro- over most guys or be able to get by most guys but doing mm-hmm. that over and over and over again you think yeah even for a young player who's in great shape that's that's a difficult proposition he doesn't really have any other thing like the three point shot we saw it and we went oh that's another thing but he doesn't have a oh well Scotty gets to that spot and then there's a mid range mm-hmm. move that he's got or there's like a little mid range jumper doesn't have a post game like, when have you ever seen the Raptors post up Scotty Barnes and just say, hey, work on the block? Like, go go to town on this guy. It doesn't really happen. So maybe that's what we're doing here is we've come around to, like, 2011 LeBron where it just needs a post game. But I think maybe that, that kind of that's just it is can you develop the second real way for him mm-hmm. to score consistently? And that's going to be the marker of success this season. Yeah, but, I mean, again, like, you could you could see guys develop skill moves or like scoring moves like yeah. Kawhi is like a good example of this right when Kawhi walked in this league it was like all right three and d guy you know <laughs> he's gonna be a defensively improved martel webster like no like and then eventually he developed you know pretty much everything in his game um but it takes a lot of work and it takes some time and it takes patience luckily for Kawhi, he was on a winning team yeah where he can kind of come along slowly get a roll with his defense get a roll with his three-point shooting and then get more and more put on his plate and then he backstabbed them and then came to toronto <laughs> to win a chip so i'm thankful Kawhi. Yeah, but, no, um... it's true it's very very true no <laughs> I, no i i think of course you can develop it like we've seen tons of guys do that um yeah. we've seen siakam do that my, my i guess yeah, my exactly, point yeah. is what are they going to try to focus on or what is he going to try to focus on as that mm-hmm. second thing? Because when you're that versatile and you've got right. that many things, it's very clear that coming into this season, the thing he focused on was his three-point shooting, right? His mm-hmm. three-point shooting, especially just like off the catch, was a huge, had to be a massive focus for him. But what is going to be the way where you say, hey, Scotty, outside of just the brute force drive play where you're mm-hmm. steamrolling somebody, how else are you getting a consistent bucket? like that that'll be the one or how do you get to a spot where like you said that forces a double where you can use that playmaking and find a teammate and you score off of it and once we see that i think that's when you can start to unlock again a a bunch of those other pieces around him and say oh okay well this is what fits with that the best if he Mm -hmm. like you again he involves as a pick and roll player cool yep and build this team more around scotty barnes in the pick and roll just figure out what that is i also think it's tough though with him when we like just evaluate him in general because now so much of the alpha player is that Luka Doncic type or Luka Lights sure. on every other team where it's just, oh, they're a bucket getter. They score. Because now the league has, like, the Raptors score last night was low. It was like, what, 220-some oh, yeah. points? And I went, oh, this is, like, there was some defense in this game. There was some stops. There were some misses. Um, yeah. I feel like 70 is now the new 50 
where <laughs> yeah totally I, I, like if you score 50 points i don't even care like i'm scrolling right past uh-huh. it and i'm just like yeah yeah whatever 50 who cares uh yeah, yeah. now 70 is kind of a thing but i'm also hating it i roll my eyes at it uh mm. do you do you think that they need are you in steve kerr's camp where you're saying change defensive positioning rules uh, I think a lot of people who cover the NBA, especially the olders, the the me's, the millennials mm-hmm. are going, yeah, take away some of the fouls. Uh, I've heard get rid of defensive three seconds, which I actually don't mind, but I also don't know how much of an nah, impact it's going to have. I don't want to see that. You man. don't want to see that? I don't mind it. No, I, I like the idea of, I think Zach Lowe brought this up, of taking defensive three seconds and making it defensive five seconds. Okay. So... If you break it down, like most half-court possessions start with like, let's say 16 on the clock, right? You got the ball past half-court. Yeah. Now you're starting offensive possession. Defensive three seconds, like you have to leave the paint like four times minimum, maybe five to, to, if you're defending the whole possession. I feel like defensive five seconds, you have to leave the, the paint maybe twice. Yeah. So you're effectively giving that, but I don't want a guy just standing under the basket. Well, playing the, zone the Wolves the Rudy Gobert trade, they're like, we did it. See, everyone oh, yeah, made fun yeah. of us for all those draft picks. We saw the way the league was going, and we're innovators. Like we're the smartest yeah. team in the NBA. Everybody take no, back. No, imagine what you, you said. played the Spurs and like the whole yeah. game, Wemby is just at the basket. Like you better make twenty threes yeah. um, to 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 beat that kind of coverage. But yeah, I mean, I I think for me, like. Yes and no. I mean, I think there's undeniably like I truly believe that skill level is going to improve over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's no way you look at the average like player, like not I'm not talking about the top end player. I'm looking at the average player. Um, they're definitely way more skilled than they were like 10 years ago. Like I think to back to like remember when the Bulls won 60 like 60 games with Derrick Rose, like they did that with like Keith Bogans as mm-hmm. their shooting guard kind of deal. You know what I mean? Like just the, one an undersized guard. Yeah, and one guy who can score, everyone else is like, Joe Kim is mostly yeah. passing and scoring around the basket. Taj Gibson is mostly like a mid-range jumper guy. Luol Deng, kind of like an OG, I suppose, like in-between game. Less I, offense I, than OG. like Less it, offense than OG, to yeah, be clear. Not as good of a three-point shooter. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like literally guys whose entire roles are just to be on the floor at a shooting guard position, not even shoot that well, not mm-hmm. move much, and then just try to defend the other team. Right. There's tons of those guys around the league that you look at uh, like the game now, like there's none of those guys. Mm-hmm. Even the Raptors with injuries right now started five guys where they can conceivably get you something offensively. Like Gary can definitely get you something offensively. Dennis, you know, can get you something offensively. Bruce Brown, we saw him go one on one against yeah. centers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the average skill level was just much higher. So that's going to bring things up. The three point shooting is going to bring things up. I wouldn't mind if they just like, you know, uh, brought back some of like the loosened fouls that you saw to start last season. There was so much talk like every year. They're like, well, we changed the rules to help the defense. We're allowing like essentially more contact. I wouldn't mind that because I think the the purpose, everyone wants defense to make the offense look better, to raise its offensive level. And there's certain games where you watch where you're like, okay, there's no defense. And so the offense looks devalued. I think everyone at the end of the day likes scoring. Um, but you want to see scoring where you have to overcome something. Like right now, NBA defenses is like <laughs> if like Mount Doom was right beside the Shire and, yeah. and Frodo just like put it in the mailbox. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, and the ring is done. Good. Yeah. No. Yeah, you, like, you know what it reminds me of all the time is uh, when they show when they show clips of uh, Drake hooping. And yeah, it, and sure. he's like just yeah. shooting wide open shots against big fat guys, and and they're like, look at Drake, he scored all these points, and I went, yeah, I don't care about this. Why is this on my feet? <laughs> yep. And there's so yeah. many games just like that where, and and uh-huh. I, I I'm sorry to keep going at Carl Anthony Towns on this, but I watched mm. that Hornets game, right? And Dude, that was terrible, man. 
if if you watch that game and you thought this is fun to me, this is good, like this is NBA basketball. I, I, no, there was no compete on either end of the floor for either team. Mm-hmm. They're just funneling the ball to one guy to try to get his stats. And by the way, the the Hornets were doing the same thing. Like all their guys are doing the exact same thing going, oh, it's my turn. It's my turn to get some points. And their mm-hmm. stat sheet was all stuffed because neither team played any defense. I, I don't think, I think it's got to go. There's there's a couple things at play. One is definitely the 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 fouls need to change. Like they they just do. They've they've got to figure out a way to make it a little bit more advantageous to the defense. Um, I like the five second rule, but I also just wonder if this is this is where we're at in terms of being it. Like we're just going to get less and less compete level. Like I saw the Halliburton quote yesterday, right, where he went, "This rule is ridiculous." Uh, mm. that I have to play 65 games in order to get a max contract. And my, you know, millennial brain went to classic Gen Z, like don't want to go to work, want to get paid the same, <laughs> you know, like mm. don't want to work, yeah. want to get paid the most. And Armin shaking his head behind the glass, but man, you know, it's true. <laughs> like, you know, it's true. Like you said, Armin, by the way, pitched the other day when I had Sixero in studio, that uh-huh. school should start at 2 PM for kids. <laughs> that, that was what? Yeah. He's like, it's too hard to go to school. That's dude. This is no, it's not. That's, I'm telling you, it's this too is, hard for parents yeah. to look at their kid no, all it's, day. It's, Please dude, it's, it's, put it's, them into school. I'm telling you, this Jed Z, even, even I saw today, IBM went, you have to come to work for three days a week, okay? Please, uh, or else you're laid off. We got to let you go. Like, we need you to come to work. And Gen Z's like, yeah, well, thank you. You can't have this. <laughs> we got to stand up. You are an employee. Yeah, like. yeah you got you to gotta come into work sometimes. They're like, this is rude. This is not good. This is not good for our mental health. We don't like this. We don't like this whatsoever. But yeah, I just. I think you're right. That's the the main point is I got to feel like it's an accomplishment and Mm -hmm, I didn't watch the Lucas 70 point game. I missed that one. And, but I didn't, I used to, when a guy would have an amazing game like that, I'd immediately be on YouTube looking for the long highlights of it. And now I don't. And and I think that's a problem. Yeah. I also think, you know, in a weird way, like we're almost overexposed in terms of highlights. That's true too. You know what I mean? Like I used maybe I'm this is just like again us being older and stuff, or just like, oh man, I remember back in the day, like I would make sure I'm on my TV at ten forty six PM East mm-hmm. or AM Eastern so that I can watch like uh court cuts and like I don't get, I gotta wait for the whole reel to circle back to the NBA section so I can watch like Steve Nash throw Amar Stoudemire uh, an alley oop and then I'm gonna enjoy it, I'm gonna watch it, I'm gonna soak it in, and then I'm gonna turn off the TV and disengage with the sport. Like that just doesn't even happen anymore. Like Anything that is, is worthy, it will be pushed to your timeline because you follow the accounts because the algorithm is going to just like automatically push these things to you anyway. They're going to like shove it in front of your face. You're going to probably have your own regular routine of going to, to search up games or things like that to, to rewatch in the morning. And then, yeah, on top of that, like I think the skill level is so good. Like there's nothing, for example, that um, Luca did in this 73 point game that you haven't seen Luca done in like the, the span of a week, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like you actually know exactly what that looks like already. He just did everything at a higher volume and at a higher efficiency. That's but I it. think the only thing I will credit for the Luca thing is I did watch that because it was at the same time as Raptors Clippers. And uh, I'm not gonna lie, I turned on the TV in, in, in the Fan 590 booth, and I'm like, I'm gonna watch this game instead because if someone's got 70, yeah. he was passing the ball a ton. Like he could have fully gone to 80 if he forced it, like Car Anthony Town style. But his team probably would have lost. And I actually appreciate that even when it was like intentionally fouling in the last minute he was still giving the ball up instead of taking the free throws and going to the foul line to, to push that total higher. So can I give you I a theory mean, on this? Yeah, sure. I, I was talking to a friend and they, they mentioned the same thing. Yeah. I actually think that these guys don't want to break the 81. 
Like there's an unspoken bond amongst the players mm. where they're like, okay. it's it's like a retired jersey. You know how, well, LeBron keeps going back and forth on 23 where he's like, no one's wearing 23 and I'll wear 23. No one in his back this mm. way. Uh, I think that's kind of the new, that's the okay. way that they honor MJ is by not wearing that number. And the way that I think guys are going to try to honor Kobe a little bit is they'll want the 70. They'll want to outdo each other in the 70s. But once they start mm. to get around to that 81, to me, I actually think that there would weirdly be like some backlash. No one's going to mm. remember that. If you're going to score 81, you're going to break the 81. You better go up to 100, you know, like you better get 90. Because okay. if you're sitting at 82 and you were gunning all game long and just, you know, having the Towns game, I don't think history is going to look upon you kindly. Yeah, I love this theory. This is great, man. This is great. 81 is kind of sacred. You're, you're right. Honestly, yeah. 81 to, to like this modern generation, not even modern generation. Screw that. Like 81 Everybody. is the most points we've seen on yeah. film. Yeah. Okay. Will has the picture of the hundred and like a radio call and some like newspaper clippings. You know, <laughs> like I've seen footage of things from like yeah. 1910, but somehow yeah. I don't have footage. I hate, I hate watching those, that footage. It ruins my entire childhood. Like I've read three Bill Russell books and then I watch Bill Russell highlights and I'm like, please turn it off. Please, please. Like I'll do anything yeah, yeah, yeah. to please. I'll beg. I beg of you. Please turn this off. Let him just live in my mind. Yeah, that's what like, I mean. Like in my mind, I'm like, this guy was the greatest. I what a winner. And then they show me the highlights and it's like, he's yeah, no, I can't. I don't even want to talk like about everybody it. Everybody can only dribble their right no, hand. I, I don't want to talk about Everyone it. just scored jump Honestly, hooks. this is too much. I'm, I'm embarrassed that I even brought this up. I don't want to talk about yeah. it anymore. But that's it. But it's, 81, it's 81. Is, 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 is 81 is like the, the one thing that we've seen. We've all seen it where it's like, this is the most points we've seen anyone score. And I think the 81 thing is just lost. It just be reduced down in a number. Like mm -hmm. I remember watching that game live. It was on a Sunday. The Raptors were playing the Lakers. It was in LA. And it was like, the Raptors were up for most of the game. Mm -hmm. He needed to score 81 to win that game. And his teammates were like smush Parker. And like, you know, I don't even know who like Chris Mims, like, you know, like, he needed to to give you that 81 just to win the game. It was always in service of winning the game. He wasn't even chasing a number. And that was consistent with his whole run in that time where he averaged like 40 and like 45 in like a month. Mm -hmm. The game before that, he scored 60 and three quarters against the Mavericks and didn't have to play the fourth quarter. Like that wouldn't happen anymore. If a guy scores 60 through three quarters, he's absolutely forcing the coach to play him in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. So you can bump that even higher. But I do like this theory of 81 as that sacred number. Because like you look at players on the league, it's like, there's tons and tons and tons of Kobe disciples in the league, you know, especially for that's this it. current generation of stars. That's that's why I think there's, yeah, real. That, that's why mm. I think it's actually a real thing and not something that's like mm, crazy. Uh, Who is it going to be acceptable to break the 81, though? Like, it no, can't just be any. Like, if Towns broke 81, we'd no, be No, no, no. That's like, what I'm saying. It, it genuinely, yeah. it would. Would it be Zach Levine? If Zach Levine yeah, scored 81, would, would, would you have to. No, it's yeah, it, yeah, actually quit. Armin brought up a good one. I think it actually has to be a guy like Ant, like where you go, okay. no, I'm respecting this guy's effort level for the entire game. Like it, it has to be someone with okay. some Kobe in them, right? Tatum does it and he's doing it to honor Kobe. And I, I like, it's, it's gotta be a scenario like that. A yeah. top, a top guy in the league. It can't, it cannot be Carl Anthony Towns or else it's just jail. Like I, Minnesota <laughs> PD got to be waiting outside the building and they're like, yeah, you're being, you're being taken actually transferred to Los Angeles where you'll stay in trial in front of those peers. Like that's the, where this is going. Cause you did it against the Charlotte Hornets on a Wednesday. No, thank you. Uh, Hey man, we got to run. Thanks as always, always fun getting to pick your brain. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. See you buddy. Uh, Willow of the Raptor show. All right, quick break. We'll come back and yeah, I got to ask Armin how he's feeling about LeBron. Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
So Armin, taking page from his hero LeBron's book, throwing his teammate under the bus. Nick texts early, goes, guys, this traffic going to be late. I'm like, oh, right, that makes sense because of that accident that I talked about earlier with Ben. And Armin's like, no, no, it's a different thing. It's right away, just away. Those guts, Nick, right in front of me. So that's it. You're just, is this it? You're taking all your cues from LeBron? Because yesterday, if you missed it, the Lakers lost again. Uh, <laughs> the Atlanta Hawks fans chanted, we don't want you to D'Angelo Russell as he shot free throws, which I think is one of the coldest things I can, in recent memory, that a fan has chanted at a player. Like, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, that was... The does not deserve that. No, uh, I don't know. I, I think that's... I actually wish we had more of that in sports, but that was a, you actually can't trade him there now. Like if, if you're the Hawks and you're going to trade for D'Angelo Russell, you got to buy him out. You got to, whatever it takes, you, he's got to have the Carmelo in Atlanta treatment where it's like, Hey, thanks for the stop off. And now goodbye. I think Calderon had the same thing too, right? Calderon went in a reroute to maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, Melo definitely had one. Uh, Okay. So LeBron buried he tried to bury his teammates yesterday. I'm someone who cuts people off. So I can't really speak on this as much. But that reporter that cut off LeBron James last night as he was about to go on a tirade about his teammates. You gotta, I think you got to hand in your credentials. I think you, caught, you, you took real joy away from the world. You, you took... You took something away from all of us that we would have had for a very, very long time as a reference point. And this is one of the other things, too, is when people do LeBron versus MJ, they go, well, LeBron's such a better teammate. And I'm like, is he? Is he? Are we mm. sure? Are we sure he is? It's passive-aggressive season for LeBron. That's for that's sure. That's what I'm saying. He's back to when he was, we got, what was his tweet? We got to, some guy's got to buy in or get out, whatever. Well, he tweeted last night with the uh, time's up emoji. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really interesting what's going to happen with LeBron here moving forward because that Lakers team is no bueno, and yeah. he knows it. And when LeBron doesn't like it, I think the locker room feels it a lot. Like your season where it was all the young guys when it was Ball and it was yeah. Ingram and it was those dudes that knew LeBron didn't care about them and wanted them all in a trade. He stopped holding people accountable. That's, yeah, that's Christian Woods tweeting LOL because yeah. he's not getting in the starting lineup. Yeah, but this like, is different. There's no runway for the career anymore. There's no more like, let's get him next year. So yeah, let's keep an eye on LeBron. Anyway, we got to take a quick break because we got Hockey Hall of Famer Chris Pronger on the other side and Jared Carabas. All right, we're, f- we're finally here. NHL All-Star Week in the city. Excited to see... All the things that this great event city has in store for us. So I'll be going out Thursday, checking out a couple of things. But this is what we're supposed to be. This is, this is a big one for us, Toronto. We're supposed to be great at hosting. We're supposed to be a city that every, uh, everybody wants to come to. What a great party city. What a great restaurant city. Let's see. Everybody. Last time we had an all-star game, NBA, it was the coldest weekend i think on record ever here it was genuinely so cold that being outside for two seconds was painful that's our legacy is we couldn't control that but let's control what we can control uh very pleased to be joined by somebody with pretty incredible resume hockey all fame you know stanley cup champion two-time olympic gold medalist 13 times as an all-star so he can probably speak on all-star games and now he wants to add to it because he's a distiller as well it's chris pronger what's up man how we doing 
How are you? I'm doing well. What's going on? Uh, not too much, man. So, yeah, uh, if people want to, I just start with this. If people want to start or feel very, very small, if they want to go and be like, hey, uh, I'd like to feel like a tiny person today, they can meet you in Peterborough on Thursday at the LCBO on Lansdowne uh, from 3 to 5. And in Toronto, you're going to be at uh, 49 Spadina Avenue at the LCBO, and you're going to be signing bottles from 2 to 4 of your new whiskey journey. Congrats. Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll be uh, excited to get back to Peterborough, my old haunt stomping uh-huh. ground. And, uh, and yeah, and then back in, uh, in downtown Toronto, 49 Spadina at the LCBO uh, from 2 to 4 on Friday. See, it's interesting news with you because if you're a guy and then you want to take the picture, I, I want the picture with you sitting down. <laughs> like sit, sit for our I, photo. I always, I always stand up. No, that's see, that's rude. I, I, I knew, I, I knew you'd be that kind of big guy. Of course, you're that kind of big guy. You're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna lean in. I'm gonna make you feel a little small. Hey, no, thanks for buying my whiskey. Now feel small and get out of here. All right, you got, you got yeah, your size. Most people want to feel the, uh, see the size difference. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, okay, so but just before we move on to some hockey stuff. You're doing this with your brother, which I think is very, very cool, which is very interesting. And, yeah, like I said, you've got a, a deep resume. Um, Why did you start doing this? You know, it's been, uh, you know, whiskey's been a long time passion, as my brother likes to say. We've been doing some research and del- development over the last 35-plus years. Yeah. Don't do uh, the math on that, please. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was we'd been looking at doing something together for a few years. This opportunity was presented to us, and you know, we wanted to be able to have our own unique take on uh, whiskey, how we think uh, it should be presented. And uh, you know, as longtime fans of the product, mm-hmm. we felt who we felt like who better to. Uh, be able to come up with something that we think uh, uh, consumers will love and enjoy. Listen, I also like drinking with my brother, so <laughs> turning that into a career, <laughs> being able to be like, yeah, we got to go out and drink whiskey is for our job. Is That's a smart move by you. That's incredibly forward-thinking. But, man, my other thought is, God, it must be nice to be really rich. That's a good thing. Because everybody's been drunk with their brother or their friend and gone, you know what we would make is good booze or we would have the best bar. And yeah. you and your brother go, yeah. we can execute this plan. We don't need to just sit over whiskey and think about it. We can actually do this thing yeah i think the i think for us the biggest thing was was the story of of it too you know the the naming the the genesis behind it the story behind it the journey everyone is on their own unique journey Mm -hmm. Uh, our tagline on the bottle celebrate the victories be proud of your scars and enjoy the journey the ups and downs of life you know you think about it what's the first thing you do when you you have a big win a big victory of a big sale whatever it is you pour a glass of whiskey you want to tell somebody about it Mm-hmm. Uh, contrary to that, you have a big defeat, a big loss, uh, you get fired, you're down in the dumps, what have you. Uh, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to pour a glass of whiskey, you want to tell somebody about it. So uh, it, it really is uh, this, this unique journey that we all are on. No two are the, two are the same, and, and we want to be a part of that conversation and, and uh, with the journey. Yeah, see, you know, I actually written down that I did want to ask you about the name inspiration, but that's really good. That's really good. That Honestly, that was the best marketing you're going to do because I went, God, I just want to have a whiskey now with somebody and tell them about my life, <laughs> tell them about my problems. Yeah, well, and, 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 you know, the funny part is 
uh, once once we decided on the the naming and the branding of the product, yeah, it as I started you know talking to people and listening more intently on on the words that were being spoken, mm-hmm. every conversation not on cue, people would say journey. People would say, <laughs> I kept hearing the word journey all the time, and I'm like, okay, we're onto something here. It makes sense. Yeah. No, that's true. I was now, I'm now though, I'm going to actively try not to say it just so you know, because I don't want to be Good. basic. I'm going to hard not to though. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm going to say. And is, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. If I, if I start do, if I have to tell someone my story, that's what it's all going to be is this the story. And I'll say things like it was my path, not it was my journey or along the way. Not that was my journey because I don't want to end up being, yeah, just another person that says the same thing. But no, I think that's really good branding. I think that's really great inspiration for this. And again, I think that's very cool that uh, you're pursuing a passion project with your brother. And again, if people want to meet you here in this city, um, Friday, February 2nd, uh, you'll be down here. You'll be signing from 2 to 4 p.m. So yeah, make sure you do that because I'm guessing that lines are going to be long. Okay, so last time the All-Star Game was here, uh, you were a part of it, which is not a surprise because yeah, sure. like I mentioned, you had 13 of those appearances. You, you, I forgot that that was the time where they were still doing Team North America versus Team Europe. And that was kind of weird as a Leaf fan at the time because you were going, well, do I like the team with Matt Sundin on it or do I like the country that I'm from? Uh, do, yeah. you, do you like that format? Do you wish that they would go back to something like that? Uh, I think the only issue with that format is is a lot of teams don't get representation. I think in in the in the old format and then this current format, you know, it used to be one guy from every team, and then you got fan voting, and then you got you know on and on and on. Um, you know, I think when you're trying to showcase the best players from each team, you showcase the best players in the league, and and then you know. Now that they've changed the format to its current structure, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it allows players to really have a little skin in the game because there's money on the line, mm-hmm. and also showcase the the talent and the and the skill level that the players of this generation have. Yeah, I'm hoping that this one has a little bit more juice to it with the the skills competition, right? The million yeah. bucks being on the line for yeah. guys and saying, all right, this is actually the event. But you're a great guy to ask this because again, you went to 13 and your career was so long that you're probably able to see some of these shifts. Because I remember last year I was talking to Ray Bork, and he mentioned that the All-Star game really meant a lot to him, that when he went to it, he, he cared, and that a lot of the guys really cared. And no, it wasn't, you know, balls to the wall, this isn't going to be an intense game. But when you said skin in the game, that he felt that that was more of the thing. And for years and years and years, it's felt like the NHL, and they're not exclusive to this, right? This has been other leagues as well where they've tried to find ways to get it to be a little bit more reinvigorated with the style of play, whether that's been going to like three on threes or whatever. When, when did you start to notice that shift? Because I'm guessing when you first started going, you, it was a little bit more like what Ray Bork was talking about versus what it started to become to the point where it just became more and more incentives to say, Hey, lock into this thing. Hey, care about this thing. Yeah. You know, I think it's a a catch 22. I think most players, you know, at, Prior to them changing to this current format, it was pretty stale. The, there was zero defense being played. If you were a goalie, the last thing you wanted to do is get picked to the All Star game because yeah. you're going to get shelled. Uh, or you know, and then you're you know worried about injury and you're worried about this or that. And and then God forbid somebody actually played hard, and then somebody kind of looking at them funny like, hey, this is just for fun, you know. And I I think that's where the game got a little 
sideways was it was more shinny hockey than an actual game and you know i think now bringing it to this current format putting some money on the line and you know having that pride factor back, reinvigorated and, and more involved uh, you see a little bit more willingness to maybe block a shot or get in someone's way <laughs> you know once once you get towards that that uh final period of that last game uh you know you, you can see the energy ramp up and and the uh, pride factor kick in you got fined for an all-star game hit though uh i don't know if i got fined you self-find yourself uh, you self-find yourself i got, for hitting asked, I got asked why are you doing why why are you hitting i'm like well, keep your head up no yeah beaver still playing hockey poor beaver he crushed him yeah. he smushed him that's his most iconic photo to everybody that's his, that's <laughs> that's the if if they if they're like hey think about justin bieber that's the first thing i think of is you smiling as his face is getting smushed into the glass Accidentally on purpose. Yeah, accidentally on purpose. <laughs> did, what did you What did you say to him after? Was he cool about that? Oh, he was fine. Yeah, he. Uh, I was playing with him on the ice for a little bit, and then uh, uh, he <laughs> wanted to go into the corner first. So yeah. I figured I'd, you know, give him the full experience. <laughs> it's just like I said. I that that photo. If I'm ever sad, right? If, if they say you can trick your brain by just smiling. You know, you just just smile and you'll actually feel like you're having a better day. It's like if I'm not having a bad day, I'd be like, yeah, just show me the Chris Pronger hitting uh, Justin Bieber picture and I'll feel great. It's the joy that you have on your face that's captured as you're doing it. It's there. It's it's undefeated. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, you know, the funny part is I didn't know the camera guy was there. So as I'm doing it, I was basically laughing yeah. to him like. <laughs> How does this feel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's and, so and I just got a grunt coming back at me. Like, yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh, that's so good. Cause he's at the all-star game this weekend. He's one of the, the coaches or the GMs of one of these teams. And I thought, God, how great would it be if you just made the guest appearance as he was starting to, to pick his roster? <laughs> yeah. When is that? Uh, how, does that, how does that timing look? I don't know. I think I honestly, I should, I should know, know this better. I feel like I should have all the NHL event schedule. Thursday's the draft says my producer in my ear. So that's Thursday. Oh, so you'd it. have to hustle. You'd have to, you'd have to hustle down from Peterborough. Yeah, to get somehow down. I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to figure out uh, how, how that was going to be managed. God, but, that uh, would be good. Maybe I'll have to accidentally bump into him on Friday. Yeah, now. that's what I mean. You'll have to do something on Friday. You got to recapture that for the people. That's, this is good for you the know culture. What? Maybe, you know, you know what sounds like a plan. Maybe he should come wait in line and get a signed bottle of journey. Yeah. I think that'd be the first line he'd ever <laughs> wait in in his life. <laughs> I, I don't, I honestly don't know. <laughs> if he thinks it's possible for him to wait in a line like you know when super rich and famous they do stuff that they just want to like go grocery shopping they're like "Ooh, this is such a interesting thing to get done i i feel like that would be an experience for him is like this is what it's like to wait in a line he would go wow this is sucks <laughs> this is yeah yes uh, yeah, yes. yeah this, so is, this is what it's like yeah it, it does it, not fit well with yeah me. so what do you remember about being here for all-star because yeah we're this is our city and we're you know proud to be hosting and it's been a while i for some reason i thought there was one more in between now and 2000 that's a long gap between it but yeah, yeah when i when you think back to that all-star game specifically you know you've like i said you're team north america you've got pat quinn as your coach what do you what do you remember about that weekend here it was awesome you know just you know anytime you're coming into toronto for an event like that uh, the build-up, obviously, the media, everything about it. Uh, you know, I was having a good, I was having a great season as well, and and so that that played into it. 
Um, you know, and just being in Toronto, a lot of friends and family came in for it and, uh, you know, the hockey hotbed, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. The weather, uh, was manageable, which was nice. That's you know, it wasn't minus 50. So, you know, there may have been a little bit of snow on the ground, but otherwise it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Is that you know, a- it was, uh. It showed well. Let's say that. Yeah. Is there a lot of pressure on you though when you come through, like for something like that? Just in terms of you, you were only here for so long, and then all of a sudden you've got a week off, and you're trying to balance. Hey, okay, I want some downtime because the season's a grind. I want to show up for the All Star game and be in somewhat, you know, all right form. Um, but then there's like, going to be a million people that are all going, oh, you've got a week off and you're here, and I kind of want to see you. Just in terms of how draining that can be for a local guy that has so many people that just want to be able to say, Oh, I'll clear my schedule so that I can see even for five, 10 minutes. Yeah, no, I think you have, you have to have um, a, a real good handle on your schedule. A, a good, you know, you got to be able to say no. Sometimes you got to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, have, you know, I had my close family. My parents were in town. I had a couple buddies. That's and- different. Um, so it, it was, you know, it wasn't like I was walking around with an entourage, you uh-huh. know, I had like four or five people with me and, um, you know, it was, so it, it was manageable. I, I have no problem telling people no. So that's the nice part. <laughs> yeah. They know. <laughs> I, again, though, it's just, this, 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 this is not a fair, like comparison to the rest of us. Like I, I've got a buddy who. Uh, he's like a real tall, handsome guy. He's six foot six and he's just tough as nails. And like, he grew up his entire life, same thing, fighting in hockey. And he'll, he's, he's like holds people accountable in public. And he has like standards. And I go, yeah, you're not living in the same world as the rest of us. Like your ability to say no to someone, they're like, you say it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, done. No, th- there's no follow up here. I say no to someone. Yeah. It's like, well, are you sure? Or you can't, or there's some guilt or there's some other things. Like you don't, you're like Bieber with the line. You don't know what it's like to say to somebody, no. And then their response is something other than you got it and then move along. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, you know, I think, I think that's what, especially with how many directions these guys are being pulled on and, you know, what's going on in their lives and all the stuff that, you know, from social media and all the stuff, just the eyeballs on you. You know, you got to remember back then (laughs) there was no social media. There was none of that stuff. So, you know, you're just kind of bouncing around doing your own thing and, you know, if you don't want to go to any events, you don't have to go to any events. If you want to, feel free. You know, it's, you know, the, the world is your oyster. You're able to kind of come and go as you please. And the the schedule back then was basically a guideline. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, show up. They would prefer you come to the team photo and some of the, <laughs> some of the stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, if you're not there, people are wondering where you are, what you're doing. Oh, my God. Who saw him last on social media? Where did he, you know, and they get the tracker out. So. Uh, you know, a little harder to hide nowadays, but, uh, but back then it was nice. You could kind of uh, do your own thing. And, and if you want, if you want to get rest, if you want to go out, if you want to do dinner, whatever, you're able to, you're able to do that. So when you would go to all-star games, who was the guy that you were most forward looking forward to see? Like if you were going to sit down and say, all right, I'm having a glass of journey with you. I'll make sure that this gets done because you're just notoriously fun to be around. I gotta be honest with you, man. I I, I wasn't going to these uh, All Star games and buddy and being buddy buddy with with guys. You know, you're there talking, and mm-hmm. and uh, most of the guys did not like me to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> so so I was kind of you know doing my own thing, getting my sticks ready, doing you know doing my normal prep, and uh, kind of coming into it and getting ready. You know, you're chatting with guys around you, and mm-hmm. you know 
you know, warming up with guys and talking and stuff like that. But uh, I, w- I was not going out for dinner with guys or going out for drinks with guys because in three days I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be meeting them somewhere in a corner or in front of a net somewhere, trying to you know take a pound of flesh out of them. So um, you know, I think that for me, I was there showing up, doing my job, and and promoting the game, and then getting back to reality and and uh, and and working. Uh, on uh, winning hockey games for my team. I can't tell you how much I like that answer. I really I like that's the that's such a great answer. I I like I think that we probably overstate at times like how much guys are friendly with, or guys are being too friendly. I'm like, I don't know, it's mostly it's going to end up being fine, but to have a throwback like that, like we have some I, I know there's a dude in the NBA right now named Giannis Antetokounmpo that has that same approach where he's like not friends with anybody in the NBA. He doesn't like to be friends with anybody in the NBA. And I don't know how much of that, yeah, we're going to have moving forward in sports. Okay, so I got to ask you about this Leafs team. They tried to add a bunch of grit. They called it snot. They tried to basically <laughs> label this team as it's going to be tougher. It's going to be nastier. It's going to be meaner. Uh, they're going to be more consistent in that area. It hasn't really taken. Some of it's been injuries. Some of it's been guys sort of aging out of the lineup like Ryan Reeves. Do you think that's something that you can add when it's the fringes of your team and not the, the core identity of your team? Uh, I think, I think it needs to be in your DNA, meaning how, how do, how are we going to play as a team? You know, you, that can be a buildup that can be a, you know, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, you know, 20 game segments. Uh, but but it needs to be in the DNA of how you play. Are you hard to play against? Are you do you defend hard? And and hard doesn't mean going out and running guys through the boards. Hard is, you know, are you separating the man from the puck? Are you uh, hard on pucks? Are are you defending hard and taking away time and space? And are you you know those types of things? Uh, yes, it can. You know, you can take a pound of flesh off a guy and 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 whatnot. But you know, are you getting better? from the first 20 to the next 20 to the next 20 to leading into the playoffs. Mm. And, you know, I think that uh, that's how I track teams and that's how I track, you know, when I get asked about, Oh, what's the question mark on this team or why doesn't this team have postseason success, et cetera, is, is really how they play. And, and, you know, I always go back, Oh, well, if you watch the Oilers in the eighties and oh they, man, they were running gun and they were this or that. Yeah. But guess what? They also knew how to clamp down and play defense. Mm. They had some meat back there that could play hard. And you got Paul Coffey going coast to coast and you got, you know, these different guys, but they also had some guys back there that would uh, let you question whether you really wanted to go to the front of the net, whether you wanted to go get that loose puck out of the corner, whether whether you wanted to take a swipe with the goalie uh, in, in hopes of getting the loose puck. You know, it, 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 you add that element of indecision and, and consequence into someone's mind, and you know, that hesitation gives you an opening to gather gather rebounds and loose pucks and, and get back on the offense, which clearly they want to do with the talent they have up front. Hmm. Do you, uh, I keep thinking about this, though, in terms of uh, just where the game is at right now. Like I had Jeremy Roenick on last year, and he was talking about he went to a game, he sat near the glass, and he didn't see it rattle once, right? And he's like, man, used to, these were the seats where, you know, you were going to see the, the boards move. <laughs> and now that's, that's not really the case with the game. And so when you're kind of trying to build your team around 
a tougher identity or bigger hitting. It, it's just, it's becoming less and less a thing. And I wonder if it's just harder for th- teams to do. Cause you said it, right? You said like, you, you gotta be, you gotta be a tougher team, but that doesn't always necessarily mean the same thing or the fighting of the snot or whatever. But I, I just think that's gotta be such a difficult equation in the modern game where you are getting less physicality throughout a regular season. And that import throughout the entire year is less and less and less. And then you get to the playoffs and all of a sudden it's back to being important again. Yeah. Well, and I, <clears throat> I think the biggest issue uh, as it relates to that is the kids that are coming up through minor hockey and how they play and how they're, they're taught, how they're taught, how it's talked about mm-hmm. the physical side of the game and the aggressive side of the game is not really looked at in the same light as it once was. And it's almost frowned upon. Mm. Um, and so I think less and less kids play that way. And, and therefore you, you just don't see it coming up through this, through the ranks, minor hockey, junior college, and then on into the pros. Uh, you know, so when you do see players play that way, Oh my God, he's a throwback and, and his stock rises and like, Oh, we need to get this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we're missing that element on our team. But but I guess basically what I'm saying is it needs to be the team's identity. Are you hard to play against? You can have one or two hard players, but if it doesn't permeate throughout the roster, and if you're playing run and gun loosey-goosey, that's fine for a while until you run into a hot goalie, you know, or you run into a team that plays tight defensively, or you run into, you know, a checking line that can shut down your top guys, you know, you can keep going down that list. It, then, then it throws a wrench into your system. You know, you have to have the wherewithal and the ability to play a one, nothing two one game. And if you can't, if you, if you solely rely on winning games, five, four, six, five, you're going to have a problem at some point. Hey man. Uh, I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for coming on again. Congrats on the new business venture becoming, yeah, distiller. Again, if people are interested, uh, you can get these bottles now in here in Ontario. So yeah, it's Journey Whiskey, J-R-N-Y, Canadian Whiskey. And again, there's a signing at the LCBO in Lansdowne next Thursday, February 1st. Well, yeah, it's now, tomorrow, uh, as we also call it, because uh, I copy and tomorrow, paste it. Yes, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. in Peterborough, by yeah, the way, yeah, in Peterborough. In Peterborough. And then Peterborough. if you want to do it on Friday, again, this week, the 2nd, uh, he's going to be down on 49 Spadina here in Toronto from 2 to 4. Hey, Chris, thanks again for everything. And yeah, good luck trying to run into the Beebs this weekend. thank you my pleasure i'll make sure i keep my uh stick down and my elbows down absolutely see you brother uh chris pronger hockey hall of famer stanley cup champion multi-gold medalist 13-time all-star um yeah i like what he said there at the end about it needing to permeate through the lineup and i think that's sort of been the the issue that people have had with this team the entire time or the reason why there's always been question marks raised is, hey, is it, is it going to extend to the other players on your team? When you, if you're going to bring in Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi and Ryan Reeves, you're going to say, we're going to be harder to play against. We're going to be nastier to play against. We're going to be more intense. That's it. You want to be labeled the team that's tough to play against. And that comes in a variety of ways for sure, especially today. It's not the same as it was when Chris was here for the All-Star Game in 2000. I actually, I really do believe that Matthews has taken a step in that regard. The intensity, night in, night out, 
the attention to detail, being a guy who's just harder to play against routinely. Some tough moments in big spots, like most specifically the game against Colorado where they got called out. But you saw it in the Edmonton game, the way that he played against McDavid and elevated it. And for the most part, that's basically been there throughout the entire season for him. Nylander, it was there. Now it's kind of dissipated. Marner, same thing. It's kind of a night-in, night-out situation. I think he's underrated. I think he's probably a little underappreciated given the talent level. But when you're talking about hard to play against, I don't think that that's something... I don't think that's a moniker that he wears. And then with Tavares, it's been very, very clear this season that that it's it's not that way. So yeah, can those guys find that, whatever their level is, to be more consistent in terms of that? That quotient, the hard to play against quotient, the annoying to play against quotient. I think that's going to determine their success in the postseason. I think that's, uh, yeah, listening to a guy like Chris Pronger get to speak on it is probably wise. Anyway, um, this weekend, if you're not just going to head down and see Chris Pronger, the NHL's transfer t- not transportation. The NHL's transformation of Toronto for the 2024 Rogers All-Star Game this year includes the NHL Fanfare. It's a four-day family-friendly event from February 1st, which is tomorrow, to the 4th with interactive hockey games, special appearances by NHL players, and much more. Visit Rogers and Sportsnet at the Fanfare to win awesome prizes, have your photo taken at the Sportsnet broadcast desk, and test the speed of your slap shot with the Rogers Hardest Shot Skills Competition. If you haven't already... You can secure your tickets down at nhl.com backslash fanfare while supplies last. All right, quick break. And as uh, some of you know, I do something called the Jared Sullinger test, and it's asking, asking fans and media about what they thought of a player that has just now departed their organization because I really do feel as though it gives you a great look into what the future could be for you. So let's do the Jared Sollinger test with Jared Carabas on Justin Turner next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. I think that our next guest is eh, he's pretty much the social media voice of baseball. So always like to get to pick his brain, but he's definitely the voice of Red Sox fandom. So perfect guy to have on to do uh, the Jared Sollinger test. It's Jared Carabas of the Baseball is Dead podcast. What's up, brother? What's going on? How are you? We're, we're, uh, we'll, we'll get there. You know, like, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, some, I'm, some a little, I'm a little disheartened by some of the Toronto no. reaction yeah. to Justin Turner okay. yesterday. All right. So let me start by saying this. So I, I do something called the Jared Sollinger test, and it's a, I, I don't know how closely you follow basketball, but it was a Boston-related thing. Jared Sollinger mm-hmm. comes from the Celtics. He comes to the Raptors, and Raptors media is going, oh, this guy, and when he was in college, and if he can stay healthy and his skill set and blah, 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 blah. And then every Celtics fan that you talked to was like, good riddance. Thank God he's Mm. on your team. Thank God you've taken him. It's very clear that from your initial reaction there, that this guy very much passes the Jared Sullinger test from a positive standpoint, that like the opposing fan base that is losing him loved the player. I think if you're talking about Justin Turner, and and, and listen, I was in the same boat as you are right now a year ago because – uh, but it was it was kind of it was a little bit different in that sense because now we're talking about Kenley Jansen coming over Justin Turner and then you just brought over Kike Hernandez the year before you're like are we just like picking up 
Dodgers, Dodgers cast-offs. Yeah. yeah, like that was like a weird part of it with the whole Turner thing where it's like, I get that you're beloved, but you're a Dodger. Like I, I feel like we can't embrace you the way that, uh, especially considering the age, when you're in your, when you're in your later 30s uh, and you've, spent your, you, you've made your, your name for yourself with another organization and there's no way that you can have like this new chapter here because there's just not much time left on your baseball clock, mm-hmm. I was a little skeptical. But then you, you, you talk to the guy, you see him play, you see him show up day in and day out, you see what others say about him, and what you'll also see is that he won't be far from whatever manager he plays for in the dugout. Like I feel like that is just such an obvious candidate for a future big league manager in Justin Turner. Like Even at this point in his career, absolute sponge. Maybe that's why he's coming here. Maybe that was ultimately his decision. He was like, you know what? Um, if this thing goes poorly, Schneider's gone, and I can just slide right in to a brand-new job here in Toronto. I can... I can pull. Maybe. I can pull this off. Okay, so uh, when you said, let me defend Toronto a little bit. When you said the, hey, I'm surprised by the reaction. Um, we've gone through that too, where someone's just a, hey, they're a Dodger or they're they they're just a member of a different organization. We did this just last year because the Jays signed Kiermaier, and he was actually a bit of a villain here, right? He was someone that robbed mm-hmm. a, a countless amounts of hits from Toronto Blue Jays players. He had gotten into it with a couple of different guys. He had this moment where he slid into home and whatever the, the the catcher call sheet thing is, I don't know, he grabbed it and brought it to his dugout and that caused a little kerfuffle and people went, wow, this guy's a bit of a cheater, huh? This guy's a bit of a shady character. He comes to Toronto and people love him immediately. But why? Because he's a, he's a ball player and I hate being this kind of cliche speaker, but that is, those guys resonate wherever the hell they go. And it's very clear Justin Turner is that as well, right? Ball player, guy that loves the game, loves to be around it, is going to be great with teammates, is going to give you a good AB, takes a bunch of pitches, right? You're never going to feel cheated by this guy. That's all great. In a vacuum, he would be an awesome signing for the Toronto Blue Jays. The problem is, is that they're signing a basically a 40-year-old guy to be their DH in an offseason where we thought maybe we were going to get Shohei Otani, and it was being promised about splash, splash, splash. And now the entire premise of this Blue Jays team is, hey, I know we didn't hit last year. We were one of the most awful teams to watch offensively in baseball. But now uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Justin Turner replacing Matt Chapman and Brandon Belt, don't worry, that's going to help really turn things around offensively. That's what I think people's reaction is, not Turner in a vacuum. Yeah, no, I, I get that. <clears throat> and, I, and I think also when you look at the Turner signing, you see it's for one year, you see how old he is. Yeah. It's not a long-term solution. I think when you're a baseball fan, especially if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan, you're looking at our window opened several years ago now. Like we're, we're in the middle to like the latter half of our window. And instead of kind of prolonging it, kind of like what the Houston Astros did. I know, you know, everyone feels a certain type of way about Houston, but it's like they called up guys and then their pipeline continued. And then they supplemented that with free agents and trades when they had to. Uh, so in, in addition to the cheating, like you could look at it on the surface and say, you know, they kind of did this in like a very Dodger way. Whereas the blue Jays, you know, you had your first wave of call-ups. Some of them hit, some of them missed. Some of them hit and then missed, and we're hoping that they'll hit again. I think we all know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, congrats on the cover. But mm-hmm. it's, I think it's more so that you need that next wave like to get the fans excited because 
this first wave that everyone was really, really excited about, well, what became of it? What postseason run could you look back on and be like, it was all worth it. All the hype led to this. Like, it's not even like they knocked on the door of a world. They got no wins, Bob. They got no wins. There's no run. There's no wins, period. There's not a win. We'll take a win. Right. That's what we're, that's the bar right now is, hey, Vladdy and Bolt, win a game there. And that, and right. then people be like, okay, that's a start. That's something. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm totally with you. I see it. And I'm frustrated, too, because, I, I mean, I love me some Bo Bichette and some Vladdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even like a guy like Kevin Biggio was someone that you were excited about, you know, four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. But, I, yeah, I the, the whole Justin Turner thing, I know it, it kind of it, – it's not necessarily pandering – uh, it may sound like sugarcoating, but you have to factor in guys that are kind of on the fringe are going to get better just by seeing how this guy goes about his business. It, you cannot understate the value of having a guy who's been there and done that. And it, it can also change the culture. And I hate to keep using the Astros as an example, but 2016, a lot of those guys, that ended up being stars that were homegrown talent. They didn't really take that next step forward until uh, they injected some veterans over there, like uh, like Beltran. We all know what he was responsible for, but you know, Hall of Famer in my opinion, um, McCann, Reddick. Like that's when that group kind of took that next step forward. And a lot of these young Jays, they're not young Jays anymore. Like you can make the case, like yeah, these are kind of they're stepping into like veteran status. Uh, maybe not grizzled vet. But they're not young pups anymore. But a guy like Justin Turner, he's been there. He's won a World Series. He's played in multiple. Uh, that stuff makes a difference, especially when you look around the clubhouse and you don't have guys that have been there and done that. It helps to be alongside those guys. No, I completely agree. And this is why I wanted to have you on, so that you would make me feel better about this and that you would remind me that to me intangibles matter and having those vets around that matters and that's all good. And, you know, Boba Shed actually was on uh, one of the podcasts on our network a week ago with our guys, Blair and Barker. And he said that exact thing where he says, we're not young anymore. We, we can't be treated like we're just a bunch of upstarts. It's just like, it's, it's now, this is now our primes. The only issue I have with that, where you're like, oh, he's been there before and you bring in a guy, he's good for the cause. It's like, that's exactly what everybody said about Brandon Belt. And they still won no playoff games. Like that yeah, was, I mean, it, like, was, you look like at the Brandon Red Sox Bell, last year. The giraffe, he's comedy, he's got World Series experience, he's a clubhouse guy, he's around the manager, like all those things. We could have just mm-hmm. played this and gone, wait, you know when they do those tweets, it's like player A, player B, it's like this could have been the exact same thing with Justin Turner and Brandon Belt. No, I, I, I agree that intangibles will only get you so far because you're talking about a Justin Turner that just came from Boston, a team that finished in last place. But you look at the season that he just had, Dude was 38 years old and still posted an 800 OPS. Yeah. Like you're not just, you're not just saying like, Oh, uh, we're going to have this veteran hobble himself into the clubhouse and he's just going to bestow his wisdom on the youth. Like, yeah, no, he, he is going to do that. But in addition to that, he's going to have a 114 OPS plus he's going to hit over 20 homers. He almost drove in a hundred runs last year. Mm So, I mean, like you're, you're getting a guy, like I, I get it's it's hard to be excited about a guy that walks into the clubhouse in his age thirty nine season. That on the surface that doesn't sound great. Oh, we just signed a, a dude uh, in his age thirty nine season uh, to a one year deal. Whoop de do. All right, yeah, but he brings with him the ability to to pump twenty homers, drive in a hundred runs, and have an OPS of eight hundred. He's gonna get on base at like a three fifty clip. 
I mean, like, his OPS last year was 345, which is great. Yeah. It's his lowest mark since 2016. Mm. Like, he gets on base. He hits the ball hard. Like, you're getting a good right-handed bat. And then the intangibles are kind of just the icing on the cake. Like, I, I would be frustrated, too, if my team was trying to sell me on a, on a one-year deal for a guy that was just strictly intangibles. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Jays fans aren't seeing when they look at the season that he just put up, or they just look at the last, I don't know, seven years of his career where mm-hmm. he's just a high batting average guy. He's a high on base guy and he can hit the ball hard. He's going to drive in runs. He's going to hit doubles and homers. Like what else could you ask? For? No, it, that's it. It's it, l- listen again. I love the Turner signing. I think that it's completely fine. I think it's a good one. Uh, I think everyone is going to see the stuff that you're talking about. And even when I was talk, making the Brandon Belt comparison, the one difference is Brandon Belt was coming here as, well, maybe. And it worked out pretty well, but he missed a chunk of time. Justin Turner plays games. He's played well throughout his late 30s. And so, yeah, just you, when you're talking about the floor of this player, I feel like it's so much higher than what they were doing last year with Belt. All of that stuff is awesome. It's the fact that on this team, him, a guy with an 800 OPS who's only going to hit 20 bombs is the DH, right? It felt like the the piece that they needed was more of a, hey, this guy could actually, like a, a massive lottery ticket like Solaire, where you go, actually, this guy could hit 40 bombs versus a guy who could mm-hmm. hit 20. And so I think there was a little bit of shock within the market going from, hey, it could be Shohei, hey, it could be Bellinger, to, hey, your big offseason signing is Turner. If they had done a bigger move and added Turner as like the the, the luxury piece to this, it's a very different story or it's a very different tune from the fan base other than having him be like the premier move of the off season, you know, like he's the no, top I, guy. I completely Their get other that. guy is Isaiah Connor Falefa, who's going to play third base apparently every day for this team. That's trying to win a world series. Like I, I don't, I don't understand how that is supposed to make you feel good. No, I I'm with you there. And I think it comes off of, the fact that, you know, we got teased with the flight thing with yeah, Shohei. Exactly. exactly. Uh, it's the context. The Jays were in the rumors on Soto. Like, the, the tease was high. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're coming in with, hey, we're in the, we're in the uh, Otani sweepstakes, and you, you, to the point where we've got reports of press conferences being planned, like, yeah. I can absolutely level with that. But that was also at this point, what, two months ago? We had time to kind of come down from that. Uh, And and again, like I would also be upset if you need the broader picture like we've been talking about. It's not just that expectations were high this offseason specifically. It's the fact that expectations have been high since this core made it to the big leagues and they've kind of just been scratching the surface, knocking on the door of just getting into the postseason and winning a single postseason game um, for now, what, three, four years? Mm-hmm. So I get it. I get the frustration, but Justin Turner should not be the target of your aggression, Jays fan. Trust me, you're going to love this guy. No, he's, he's going to be loved. I, uh, listen, I, if there's one thing I know, it's the fans in the city, and I, I can tell you I, he would have to be a disaster for people not to love him. The bar for his success is going to be pretty low. Like the ire is going to absolutely be directed like primarily, honestly at Vladdy. That's the guy who like Bo people feel like we know what we're going to get from Bo. You know, he's going to post essentially the same stats year in year out. 
he's going to bring that professionalism. With Vladdy, it's the, hey, is he working enough? Does he care enough? Is he, you know, was he great? Is he great? It's all this different stuff. And, like, I think you actually saw that with his, he had a quote, uh, I think it was yesterday or was it two days ago, where he said that this is going to be his year. This is going to be his season. Mm -hmm. And some of it was eye-rolling because people go, man, he said this year is going to be the movie. Or the last year was the trailer. This year is the movie. When it came to uh, one of the most crushing Blue Jays losses ever, which was to Seattle in a, a year where Vladdy, yeah, was not nearly, you know, he was runner up for MVP to Shohei Otani. And then the following season, he OPS 818. Last year was 788. I talked, last time I talked to you about Vladdy, you made me feel better because he hit a home run that very same night. You came on and then yeah. he crushed one, and that was perfect. Where are you at just in terms of your Vladdy stock right now? I'm assuming that you're a hold. But, yeah, where's your level of optimism that, like, it's actually going to be his year that we are going to see the MVP 2.0 or something close to that season? So kind of where I fall on Vladdy is I I don't want to believe that 2021 was the peak. He was 22 years old. Like, he, he was 22 years old. There is so much black ink on that season. Led the league in runs led the league in homers, led the league in on base, led the league in slugging, OPS, OPS plus, total bases across the board. Like, he was a superstar. Where I kind of fall on Vladdy now is, I mean, we're going into our age 25 season this year. I think he should take a break from making predictions. I feel like he's not a predictions kind of guy. No, I think he needs to get to that point in his career where he's just like, all right, head down, get to work. Let my let my uh, my numbers do the talking for me. That's where I think he needs to be. I don't think that. I I, I want to say I don't think we've seen the best of Laddie. Maybe he doesn't get to 2021, but is he better than what he's been the last two years? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he like the fact that he had an OPS in the 700s last year in his age 24 season. Like, these are the prime years of his career. Uh, these are the prime years of his life as an athlete. So, no, I, I think – I don't think this is just what it's going to be. I don't think that this is what we need to get used to. Uh, if the bar is 2021, yeah, I, I still think to some degree that's reachable. Maybe it's not 48 bombs. Maybe it's not an OPS over 1,000. But this is a guy that should routinely have an OPS in the 900. Whether it be on the lower end, fine. But that 2021 season is the only year that he's had an OPS uh, of 900 or better. Every other year, we're talking 800 or lower. Mm-hmm. So he, he needs to be better. We The fact that he showed us that that's in there, now it's just a matter of unlocking it. You cannot fluke. And he played 161 games that year, by the way. Mm-hmm. You cannot fluke a full season of that kind of damage. You can't fluke it. You're either that guy or you're not. Uh, So it's in there. And he's still well young enough to be able to get close to that again. Uh, If if that's it, if that's the best season that we've ever seen from him, fine. But it needs to be, has to be, and can be better than it has been the last two years. I wish we had a little bit more time today. We got to go. But I will say the thing that actually made me feel the best, though, was seeing that, you know, you're like, oh, why are Blue Jays fans reacting this way to Justin Turner? 
it was also true seeing you and Red Sox fans react that way to losing Justin Turner, where it's like you guys fired Heim Bloom and it was, hey, it's time. The Red Sox are back. And now it's like, what are they doing? Like where, what, what is, what is the plan? It's really awful. Yeah. It's like to see that really awful. brand and that team in this American League East where everyone's trying to take a step forward, except you guys, where it's like, I genuinely don't know what the, what the Red Sox are doing. I was like, that was a pretty fascinating point to me was, yeah, Justin Turner, ire for some Blue Jays fans in terms of where they're at. Justin Turner, also ire for Red Sox fans, knowing also where you're at. Um, so thanks. That is, that is a great barometer. That yeah. is a great barometer. Always look at the other fan base that's losing the player. Dude, it's, it's the best one, honestly. So it's one of the best <laughs> things that you can do. It's way more trustworthy than, you know, the, the writer that's going to tell you. No, it's, it's the fan base. It's the people that watch them day in, day out. And we're super passionate about it, uh, like you were. Hey, man, uh, thanks as always for making time. Absolutely. It was great talking to you. Take care, pal. Uh, Jared Krabbis of the Baseball is Dead podcast. So, yeah, that's, so this, is, this is the way that we're looking at this. Turner signing in a vacuum, solid. I mentioned yesterday, B-, minus, good signing, good player, a guy that I think the city is really going to root for and love, especially given some of the complaints about at-bats with this team over the past couple of years and their approach. Justin Turner's not going to be changed by hitting coach. Or, he's just going to come in and be Justin Turner at the plate. Tough out constantly, never feel cheated player, Good locker room guy, good clubhouse guy, whatever you want to say. Vet, good quote, good energy. All that stuff's going to be great. Hopefully OPS 800, that's kind of the bar. Don't dip below 750. Stay in that range, feeling good. It's the context of Jeff Passon saying the Blue Jays want to make a splash. It's the context of the Rogers Center changing and feeling like, man, you really want to have an... an incentivizing product that's there. You want to have people make sure that they're there the entire time. It's the way people felt about the exit last year, the the team this year. It's everything around it. It's not Justin Turner. He is very much welcome here. And it's also very welcome that, again, losing a 39-year-old Justin Turner has Red Sox fans. Like, go look at what Bill Simmons' tweet was yesterday about the Red Sox. That'll make you feel a little bit better. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. I'm off the next couple of days. I'm off Thursday, Friday, so don't ask me if I'm fired. I'm just off Thursday, Friday. It's NHL All-Star Week. I'm taking a couple of days. So I'll see you next Monday.